Hello, fellow theater people. Welcome to episode five of the Theater People podcast. I'm Patrick Hines, your host. Just a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to automatically receive new episodes the minute we put them up. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and find all of our episodes on our website, www.theaterpeople.com. That's theater with an E-R-P-P-L dot com. Now to today's show. Throughout the late 80s and early 90s, Daisy Egan, the Broadway wonderkind, lived every kid's fantasy. At the age of nine, at her first ever audition, she was cast in the lead role of an off-Broadway play. From there, she took over as young Cosette in the Broadway production of Les Mis. But it was the job that came next, the coveted role of Mary Lennox in the Broadway production of The Secret Garden, that not only earned her a Tony Award at age 11, she still holds the title of youngest female ever to win one, but also secured her in the hearts of her generation's Broadway lovers. Recent guest Laura Osnes literally and adorably cooed at the mention of Daisy's name. But you're about to hear the reality of Daisy's childhood, told by the woman herself, and you'll see it was quite different from what so many of us imagined. Well, I wanted to say from the beginning that you don't live in New York anymore. You live in L.A., but you grew up in Brooklyn. I did. And you're here on a trip to see your family, and you're very busy, and wanted to say thank you so much for being here. I know. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, It's so good to have you. How are you loving being a mom? I am loving it. Um, I'm loving it, and there are also things about it that I hate. (laughs) Um, I, but it's amazing, and it certainly wasn't where I thought my life was gonna go. Um, He wasn't planned by any stretch. It, my entire life has changed. Well, let's maybe go back a little. Yeah. I mean, so you started acting very young, Mm -hmm. and I'm wondering, like, what was your life like before that? Um, well, uh, we grew up in, I, I grew up in Park Slope, which is not, was not what it's like now at all. Um, I remember I would count crack vials on the way to school and I thought they were like little trial size perfume bottles, mm-hmm. you know, they these? had like, like the, you know, pretty cap in different colors, probably <laughs> just signified like what strain of crack it was. Right. And I was like, Ooh, look at this. That's what you get at Macy's when you're giving you samples. Um, and we didn't have a lot of money. Um, we The money that we did have was spent on food. My mother was a really great cook. So food was important. We had a full, you know, square meal every night. We had, it was great. But we didn't have a lot of money for extracurricular stuff. And we certainly didn't go see theater. It just wasn't really a part of our lexicon except mm-hmm. that my father had been an actor in the 60s in new york in new york oh wow um and got out in his early 20s because it was just too stressful um so he wasn't an actor and it just wasn't what we did we didn't really go see theater we went to see baseball games and you know and, and your mom was a writer games. right yeah she was a, a women's health writer mm-hmm. so your parents were creative types yes yeah my dad was a carpenter mostly when I was growing up uh and he worked at Coney Island as a barker and he had a a spook house and dark ride whatever they call it um so I had a very weird childhood I spent a lot of time at Coney Island which to me 
like when I ended up going to Disneyland, I was, I, I didn't understand it. I was like, this is weird and too clean and everything's so regimented. Whereas in Coney Island, it was like, you know, it's like heroin addicts, yeah. you know, and then you go on a ride and then, and it's just, that's what I was used to. You know, you go to the beach and there's like an old, you know, there's like a couple having sex, like in the middle of the day mm-hmm. on a weekend. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it was like, yeah. oh yeah, it's Coney Island. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what it's like. And you grew up in Park Slope. And yeah. uh, if you don't mind talking a little bit about the gorgeous house that your family has now. <laughs> My parents bought their house, um, which is a, it's actually a little row house. It's not a brownstone. They bought it in 1980 for, I believe, $32,000. Unbelievable. And growing up, our backyard, my mom grew vegetables. We had tomatoes and strawberries and all those kinds of things. Um, So, yeah, but it was also sort of falling down when I was growing up, Um, despite the fact that my father was a carpenter. He he carpented elsewhere. <laughs> You'd never our... know it. It looks like it's like well, tip-top Well, my shape. stepmom came into the picture in the mid-90s, and she's she she had a very a very different personality than my mother and she was like okay well we're going to clean this up and they she renovated from top to bottom and suddenly there weren't holes in the floor or holes in the walls and there was like lights like light fixtures which we never had growing up and i lived on the third floor and it would be really dark and just you know having to get up there was always i always thought like there was a monster behind me such a classic New York yeah. story, yeah. you know. Like moving. it was also like we had no air conditioner, right? So in the summer, and we had two cats, and they were both copious shutters. Oh, I was constantly covered in cat hair, and um, in the summer, this was years later. A friend of mine said I hated going to your house because <laughs> in the summer you had no air conditioning, so it would just be a window would be open, and there'd be a fan blowing cat hair onto your sweaty body (laughs) i'm like oh that might explain why i didn't really have a lot of friends growing up well yeah and you talk about that a lot you talk about how you were like kind of bullied and you weren't really popular and how that you know how you found like your escape in theater yeah to say that i wasn't popular is being really generous i was really outcast um i was short and i was loud and i was poor so not a lot of things have changed in my life. Um, <laughs> I, but yeah, I, I think, and I was weird, you know, I, I was weird. I brought, um, for show and tell in like first grade or kindergarten, I brought a bag of deer poop that I had collected <laughs> <laughs> on a hiking trip with my dad. Why? I don't know. I thought like, look at what I, <laughs> does that i think i thought i was gonna like dissect it and figure out what the deer was eating i don't know you know there are girls bringing in pom-poms and singing cheers to our teacher and i'm like here's a here's a ziploc bag of turds that i picked up and fully like it's nothing weird about it at all nothing um it seems very your personality though yeah well i mean now i would do that knowingly back then i i didn't didn't see the irony back then of course um not. I mean, maybe I did somewhere in the deep recesses of my brain. Um, how but, did you cope? I mean, like, did you? How did? How do you cope at that age of just being an outcast and and being weird? And before you became, you know, like well known, I, cr- at a I young cried age? a lot. Is how I coped. I cried and I begged my parents. At the beginning of the school year, each year, I remember begging my parents to, to not to let me not go. 
you know, and their response was, you know, the boys are teasing you because they like you, all that stuff. And I remember being really like understanding that concept of being like, that's not what this is. That's not what this is. And you still think that that's the case? Well, it's interesting. There were, there, I remember there were two other girls in my class who were like, you know, I went to school in Park Slope and back then it was very, well, it was more culturally diverse than it is now. I mean, now it's a lot of like affluent white people. Right. You mean there were more poor people back then? <laughs> yes, there were more poor people. <laughs> we know people. what culturally diverse means. It's, you know, but like my class had like Italians and Puerto Ricans and black kids and it's just the way it was. And I, anyway, these two girls that were Italian and they had like long, thick, luxurious, gorgeous, dark hair and they wore, you know, skirts and um, they were pretty. And I was, my hair was always in knots and I wore high top sneakers with like skulls and crossbones and all my all my clothes were hand-me-downs so I looked like I was still in 1978 and I saw the way the boys teased those girls and it was different you know they would in the in the yard they would play like catch and kiss you know what I mean and they would and with me it was like catch and like punch in the face kind of thing so we're talking real violence yeah not just teasing no and this was also in an era where, like, our, our gym teacher treated the kids that way. So it, there wasn't this culture of, like, no bullying. I, when I would go and complain to the teachers, fearing for my safety, they would tell me that I was being overly sensitive. I was terrified. I hated, I hated it. I hated it. Wow. Um, years later, I ran into one of the kids who was... A, a culprit in in all of this. Although, la- like in later years, he was he was a bully, and he was one of those kids that I re- that I remember thinking, no, he doesn't. This is malicious. It's not. He's not teasing me because he likes me and he doesn't know how to deal with it. This is malicious. I ran into him on the F train, and he said, "Listen, I need to tell you something. I really apologize for all the bullying I did to you. This is actually I'm about to cry. Oh God." Um, he said the reason that he did it was because he liked me. <laughs> and it, like, totally changed. Wow. My whole um, perception of my youth. Wow. I've told this story before and it never made me cry. Thank you. It's because I have a child now and I'm hormonal. I'm hormonal. <laughs> um, anyway. It's a beautiful story, though. Yeah, it really. Um, what will you do if Monty comes to you and, and says he's being bullied? Oh, uh, I will. I will go kick their asses. That's the thing. Is that what can you do? Like you, you. If you go and talk to their parents, then your kid's going to get bullied even worse. I don't know. I don't know. I think that these days schools are better about having like an anti-bullying policy, a zero tolerance. So I don't know. All I can do is try to raise him, my son, to be a good person um, what just out of curiosity what did you say back to the kid on the f train i thanked him did you recognize him oh yeah 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 i totally knew who he was and you know what i, I and also his i think his mom died when he was pretty young and his dad was pretty sick you know so you look back and you're like you're you were going through some shit so so how how does it start to change for you? I mean, I think I read that your first professional gig was working with your dad at, at the Brooklyn Academy of Music in yeah. um, Christmas Carol. Yeah. And it was your first audition. It was my first audition. My dad had um, uh, done a play in Coney Island the summer that I was 
eight, I think. I'm going to have some water. Help yourself. <laughs> and um, like I said, we didn't see a lot of theater. So this was one of my first experiences seeing theater that I remember. And I was really blown away because he was my father, but he was also not my father while he was on stage. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a way for me to not be me. I'll sign up. Wow, you you recognized that at oh, that yeah. age. Instantly. I was like, yeah. Um, so I told my parents I wanted to try it, and they were very hesitant because, you know, my mom had Tatum O'Neill in, in her mind, and she had Drew Barrymore in her mind, and she was very, very conscious of me not, you know, going down that road. Um, but, you know, they, they thought, all right, We'll indulge you. I'm sure they. I'm sure they had no idea where it was going to go. You had to be the one in a million. Yeah. Thanks, Daisy. Yeah, exactly. And frankly, if I hadn't, possibly, if I hadn't booked that first gig, I I might have just given up because I've never been one that took rejection very well. And how old were you? Uh, at that point, I was eight. So I went in for a very small role. It, it was called Tiny Tim's Christmas Carol, and it was this adaptation, and it was obviously narrated by Tiny Tim. And I went in for this, you know, small role and, um, they asked me to sing and I, it was a musical and I didn't have a song prepared. Like that's how (laughs) much we didn't know what the hell we were doing. So I sang Row, Row, Row Your Boat. Uh, We should say also that Brooklyn Academy of Music is a big deal. It's not like auditioning for your local community theater for your first job. Right. They, they threw you into the deep end. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think what it was is that they, you know, they saw it in the backstage and they were like, oh, okay, she could play this little role, you know. And I'm sure they were like, let her go on this audition and then she'll get it out of her system and she'll become a scientist instead. (laughs) There's still time. (laughs) Um, So I sang Row, Row, Row Your Boat. The director went into the other room to make sure that he could hear me. And apparently he came back out and he was like, I I think they could hear you in New Jersey. (laughs) Um, And... Um, my father was with me and they, I don't know how it came up that he was an actor, but they said, why don't you two read this scene between Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim? So we did. And we both got cast. That's amazing. <laughs> and, um, and I got cast as, as Tiny Tim. For anybody who thinks that that could have been a fluke, please tell them how you got the lame job. Um, so the next thing I auditioned for was actually a production of Cinderella at a local community theater, Brooklyn Heights Players. And I got that. And then I can't remember if I had, I can't remember where in that, I guess the next, actually the next thing I had auditioned for was Les Mis. And that process takes a really long time. So then I auditioned for Cinderella and I got that. And um, partway through rehearsal, I got a call about, having booked Blame Is, and I think that we didn't even, we didn't even call the community theater to tell them that I was leaving. <laughs> we just, not, that's, I don't recommend that. That's not how you leave a job, guys. No. Unprofessional. Um, but wasn't it an open call for Blame Is? It was an open call. Again, they saw it in backstage, and it had the logo, and they saw the picture of little Cosette, and they looked at me, and they were like, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember stepping out onto that stage and the barricades were in the wings and I, I'd never seen the show. I didn't really know. I sort of knew what it was about, but, you know, and the stage was massive and the house was gigantic and I couldn't see anybody, but I could hear them, you know, uh, and, uh, my father had worked his way down through the green room and into the orchestra pit. And I didn't know that he was sitting in there 
And I sang Castle on a Cloud. And uh, they said, you know, they came up and said, okay, you know, this time if you could do it again and keep in mind that she is very sad and she's had this really rough life and she, you know, this is how these people treat her and she's hungry and she's abused. Try it again. And apparently I sang it again and like cried. Um, I don't remember this. Wow. Um, Jessica Molaski was there and she told me, uh, she told me this years later. When I got The Secret Garden, which was originally supposed to happen at Paper Mill, or Goodspeed, one of those two, I can't remember. <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, <laughs> uh, I put in my notice at Les Mis, and uh, like the two-week notice or whatever it is, and then Secret Garden fell through because they had just done Kiss of a Spider Woman and, the, and they were bankrupt. As far as I remember. Who's they? The producers? The, the theater. Oh. So, um, Secret Garden fell through, and I had already put in my notice at Les Mis, uh, and Les, the people at Les Mis heard about Secret Garden falling through and called me in and said, if you want to rescind your, your notice, you can. And I think the only reason they did that was because my parents were so chill. Of a personal yes. question, mm-hmm. which if you don't want to discuss it, that's fine. But was your income at this point like was were your was your family benefiting from your income, or was this your money? My mother was very, very uh, adamant that I keep that money. She was really into the Coogan laws. She wanted to write a book actually about actors whose parents had taken all their money and and to talk about the rights of of child performers. Um, I don't, you know, legally, they could have taken 85% and said, oh, this is my manager fee. But I don't think they took a cent. Um, and I was easily making the most money in my house. Yeah, I was the only one insured. Um, because, you know, we didn't have money. My mom was a freelance um, writer. And my dad was, you know, a sort of jack of all trades. So... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think it changed our lives because now whatever I needed, I could pay for. So they didn't have to include that in in their budget. It also meant that when I was 10 and I wanted a Game Boy, they couldn't say no. Right. (laughs) And they tried. They tried. And I was like, "Mm, actually, I worked for, I I earned this money, so I get to buy what I want. Wow. Um, And through this process, you get an agent, I'm assuming. Yeah, I got an agent... I guess after I got Les Mis. Um, so the Secret Garden audition was a private, you know, a private call. Yeah, so how does this all happen? Um, you know, I got a call from my agent. They're doing Secret Garden as a musical. They'd like you to audition. Um, and I, that had been my favorite book growing up. I think I'd read it like seven times before then. And I literally, I'd acted it out in my living room. It was my favorite book. Um, because again, it's a story about a little girl who's sort of lonely and doesn't have anybody and angry, which I could certainly identify with. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and you know, and I also just thought like living on the moors was so romantic and living in this big dark castle and all of that stuff. Um, and the garden that's outside in the sun, whatever. Uh, <laughs> so I went in and I sang Castle on a Cloud because it was basically the only song I knew. Um, and I sang it on my knees the way I did it in the show. And um, the casting director said, okay, can you try it this time 
standing up. <laughs> I think she wanted to make sure that I could still sing it in a, in a different position. That your legs still worked after all this time. And I think, you know, back then I didn't understand that if they give you an adjustment, that's actually a good thing. I think I thought like, oh God, you know, they think I'm terrible. If they think you're terrible, why are they going to bother having you do it again? Right. Um, so I had a series of auditions, maybe like one, one other, and then I had the final callback which was with everybody in the room all the creative team (laughs) and I I was 10 at this point I had taken it upon myself to um carry around a an egg you know how they do in school like you have to take care of this egg it's your responsibility to teach them responsibility like in health class or whatever yeah but I'd taken it on myself to do this because I just thought it was fun and I drew a little face on her and hair and I carried her (laughs) around in this Tiny little basket. You were kind of a strange kid. I was very odd. <laughs> very odd. Um, and I called her Egg Elizabeth. And I carried her around this tiny little basket with like tissue paper or, co- or toilet paper, toilet paper. And she was my egg baby. So I go to this audition and I have this egg baby and I'm, I'm like, I can't leave it outside. I don't know why it didn't occur to me that I could leave it with its grandparent. or maybe I just didn't realize that I was still holding it when I went in but I went in to the room and there's Marsha and Lucy and Susan and Michael like the whole team and I put my basket with this egg down on the table in front of them and I said will you watch my egg baby please (laughs) and I wasn't doing it to be like different different or win point I just I was like, oh, crap, I still have this. Please For watch it. For burgeoning actors, Daisy Egan is the only person who can pull that off. Please don't try this at home. <laughs> yeah, don't. Um, but again, like, I think, again, like, my inexperience was working in my favor. I didn't know enough to be nervous, and I didn't know enough to prepare a song for my first audition. I didn't, you know what I mean? I just think that... Were they charmed by that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they definitely were. So... I mean, I like to say that I had a tremendous amount of luck, and I was in the right place at the right time, and I had I had a modicum of talent. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't some insanely amazing actor or singer. I just you know I was good, and I could take direction. How did um? And I knew that part so well because I knew the book so well that I I think the the, the trap of that part is uh, to be bratty. And I think in subsequent productions or in regional productions or at schools, I think a lot of times the girl just plays her bratty. And she's not bratty. She's uh, lonely and has never had a child uh, playmate um, and is too grown up for her years um, and wants desperately to connect with somebody. But she's not, she's not a brat. She's just you know, she's one of those kids that you'd meet and you'd be like, oh, she's different. <laughs> you know? Ooh. Uh. Yeah. Yikes. You know? Yeah. Which was perfect for you. It was perfect for me. It really was. I mean, it was, you know. So. Um, Do you remember getting the call? I don't. Wow. I remember getting the call for Tiny Tim mm-hmm. for Christmas Carol. And I remember getting the call for Les Mis. I don't remember getting the call for Secret Garden. I don't think. How is it different for you to go from replacing in a show to like headlining, originating a brand new show? Um, this is so this is so weird for me because normally somebody has worked 
for many years to get to that place. And they've put in their hours and they've hoofed it and they've, you know, they've done all of that and they've, you know, trained and everything. And I didn't. And so for me, and I had no perspective, so I, I didn't know that, that that was out of the ordinary. You know what I mean? I just thought, oh, this is the way it, it happens. It didn't occur to me that other people didn't really have the same kind of experience. Um, or that, you know, I mean, I knew that other people didn't get roles. Obviously, I got that one, so lots of people didn't. But I, it just never occurred to me that what I what was happening to me was out of the ordinary. And I think, again, I think that was largely due to my parents not making a big deal out of it and, and really trying to keep me as grounded as, as possible. Um, and I think in some ways, you know, it took off a lot more quickly than anybody could have expected. And I think it did kind of get out of their hands a little bit. But, you know, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Um And suddenly you're, like, working with the best of the best in the business. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, like you think about the cast of that show, you mm-hmm. and then Mandy Patinkin and Allison Frazier and Rebecca Luker mm-hmm. and John Cameron Mitchell. And yeah. these people are like all of them are still working and, you know, so respected. Did you learn a ton working with them? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely did. And, and again, like I didn't know. I didn't know that it was out of the ordinary to meet these kinds of people. You know, um, I, I wish that I had known that because I think I would have. I mean, it's hard to explain that to a 10 year old, but. You know, there's a part of me that thinks if I had known how unique my experience was, I might have treasured it a little bit more. But as it was, I was like, oh, this is just this is this is how it'll be for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and everybody gets to meet Robert Redford and Linda Lavin and, you know, Patty Lapone, And it's just that's how it is. And of course, you go get to sing at the White House. That's how it is. Oh, um, or Carnegie Hall or whatever it was. I'm just a Broadway baby Walking off my tired feet Pounding 42nd Street To be in a show Oh Broadway baby Learning how to sing and dance Waiting for that one big chance it, you know, I mean, I, I certainly heard people say like, wow, that's amazing. But it's just, it was just what my experience was, you know. How was your relationship with the cast? Did you guys have a, was it a fun time? Oh, Did yeah. you guys get along great? Yeah. Um, you know, years later you hear about like little political things that were happening. I had no idea of about any of it. Um, but that show, my, okay, so we opened in April of ninety. Won, and I won the Tony Award in June of that year. And then in September, my mother was diagnosed with uh, cancer. Wow. And it, it had been colon cancer, uh, and it had already spread by the time they found it. So that show, uh, you know, I had a family that I was with every night. In, and everyone in the knew. Show. Everybody knew. Um and I, you know, I think in, in a lot of ways that show saved my life. I mean, I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't have that to go to um, while all of this was going on with my mother because I, uh, I mean, I don't know if I had good coping skills, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. this this was something that helped me to 
be resilient and it's a show about loss. So in a lot of ways, I was sort of getting to kind of act out whatever might have been going on psychologically with me on stage. Did your care, your parents keep you abreast of your mo- your mother's prognosis? I mean, um, was it... K- kind of. Uh, I actually didn't know that her cancer had already metastasized um, when she was diagnosed. I didn't know that until three years ago. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I, you know, and I'm sure they thought they told me, or maybe they did, or maybe they said metastasized, and I didn't know what that meant. What does that, yeah. I think that my mother knew right away that she, that it was terminal and I they did, certainly didn't tell me and I asked are you gonna die and she said I don't think so but I think she she knew mm-hmm. that she was going to and you're how old at this time 11 12 I was 12 I was 11 when she was diagnosed so I left the show to spend time with her um, and then she died in uh, March of 93. And then I think Secret Garden... Oh, maybe Secret Garden closed in February of that year. Anyway. Wow. I wasn't in it anymore. I want to talk about the Tonys, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I I know you remember getting the call for the Tony. I do. <laughs> we may have talked about it before. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. I feel like it was a school day. Don't they announce those on a... Like on a Monday? Yeah, I think so. At like, you know, ridiculously early in the morning. Yeah. So I was home. I don't know why I was home from school. Maybe it was before? No. It would be before school, I think. Yeah, but I went to school in the city and I lived in Park Slope. Oh, so yeah. I. Well, if your parents knew the, the Tonys were coming out, maybe they kept you home. I don't think anybody expected it. Seriously? I certainly didn't. I don't think anybody. I think certainly my parents. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe That's they so did. so interesting because I feel, I feel like I've heard you said or I've read that you were, you know, they were planning for it. Your people were planning for it because they had moved you from being nominated in the leading category. Well, that's because, yes. Well, okay. So, yeah. I guess it was award season. So, mm-hmm. I guess. But I don't think... No, I think that all of the nominations, this is in my memory and I could be completely skewing it, but the Drama Desk and the Outer Critic and the and cr- Critics and the Tony Award nominations all ha- happened around the same time, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. maybe I'd already been nominated for those other two. It certainly never occurred to me yeah. that, that that would happen. And they changed your category because I had you were been, losing to Leah Salonga. Right. I had been in the Best Actress category, which, you know, the role is the, is the lead um, one of the leads. Nobody tell the Tony committee. <laughs> <laughs> don't, they might take it away from you guys. Now. Seriously. <laughs> don't, please don't call them. Please. Um, so I, uh, uh, yeah. So they moved me into best featured because they knew that Leah Salonga was going to take it. Um, which, you know, fine. Great. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good yeah. She's great. She's great in that. Oh, she was great. Yeah. I just mean good for me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, we got the call, I guess, from my agent that, you know, that I'd been nominated and it, you know, it was just like, I think I screamed a bunch and I, th- you know, I would imagine that in my parents' mind, they were like, okay, <laughs> yeah, this is, this is, you know, a flip, a switch had been flipped in a way like this. Okay. Now we're on a new, now we're doing a new thing. Right. You know what I yeah. mean? Now it's not really a hobby and it's, this is a career, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, 
but I but I never expected to win and my mom was very clear that they didn't give Tony Awards to children and that I should be very grateful that I'm nominated but I'm not going to win but let's write these names down on a piece of paper <laughs> just, in, just case. in case and thank God she did because I would have walked up there and not remembered I my brain wouldn't have been working and I just <laughs> it just would have been like <laughs> you can see the clip online and, and you must google it it is absolutely the most adorable of <laughs> most adorable she kills like she gets a big the biggest laugh of the night like one minute into her speech I think it's because I thanked my agent yes. and everybody was you know I mean I of course you're gonna thank your agent yeah, of you know? course but I guess they're like she's 11 right and Audrey Hepburn gave you your Audrey Tony. Hepburn gave me my Tony and kissed me on the head and again I didn't think any, uh, you know. Happens to everybody. Yeah, it's, this is just how it goes. Um, the one thing I think is interesting that you and I have talked about before is that what happened after you won the Tony, like right after. Like you leave the stage and there's nobody there to tell you where to go or what to do. Yeah, I walk. Well, first of all, I walked off and somebody took the Tony Award from me. And I thought that it, I thought that they had changed their mind. And I was like, but I just, what did I do? And they said, no, 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 this is a dummy. We're going to engrave it, you know, get, get and send it to you. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then a stage manager comes up and says, um, "You, we have to take you across the street to do the press room. And no, nobody had prepared me for this. And I'm sitting, you know, I'm in a dress. And I'm thinking, I have to walk across 46th Street to go to the Marriott by myself. And it's nighttime and, like, how am I going to get back? And we have to do this performance in the, you know, in the awards oh, right, ceremony you hadn't later. Performed yet. And I, I couldn't understand how that was all going to work. And so I said, but I don't have to do that. I'm just a kid. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I thought. Um, so I didn't do the press room. Do you think that made a difference? Yes, I do. I think in the grand scheme of my career, yes, I do. I think, you know, this was before YouTube and before the internet. And so it wasn't like, it wasn't like people around the country knew and they weren't going to know until it came out the next day in the papers or, or, you know, on the news, um, or in the whatever Mm -hmm. industry people would know. But, um, you know, and I think that if I had gone in front of the press and been myself and made them laugh, probably, you know, I would imagine that I would have gotten some offers for, some things in Los Angeles. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I could yeah. be I could be making that up, but I've thought about it before and I've been like, mm, that might have been a good thing to do. Yeah, but yeah. it's so hard at this point in my life to look back and wish that I'd done mm-hmm. things differently because What's the point? Right. What's the point and also I have the most amazing child? No offense. Um, <laughs> She's talking to Vanya. <laughs> <laughs> and I wouldn't have him if I didn't live my life exactly the way I lived it. So well, we only have you for a few more minutes, so I... It's what? So, I know. It's so weird to be like... I mean, I could literally talk to you about your life for hours and hours and hours. Um, you know, I think... Well, it's interesting. I saw you, you know... Also, people follow her on Twitter. She's hilarious. <laughs> Get on Facebook and follow her. She's hilarious. But... Oh, well, wait. Okay, sorry. This is a total non sequitur. But can you please recall the tweet heard around the world? Yeah. It is. I have the actual quote if you want it. Oh, no, I remember. <laughs> this is genius. So it was um, July of, of last year. And I was hanging out by my pool in my apartment building. It's not like a, <laughs> my private pool with my friend and getting drunk on white wine or whatever we were drinking. 
And I got a call from my temp agency asking me if I could come in and, and interview to for this job. And I said yes. So I then I tweet, I have an interview for a temp job tomorrow, packaging human breast milk. I also have a Tony Award. <laughs> and I put the phone down and didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay. what? And I, actually, I'd been on a roll that day. That day, I was sending out some pretty golden tweets. The Olympics <laughs> were happening, and I was commenting on that. She's a, a funny lady. It was a good tweet day for me. So that was just one of them. Uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. And three days later, it was everywhere. Um, I It took me three years to get to 1,000 followers, and I doubled that in three days. I saw it on entertainmentweekly.com. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It went everywhere, and it was on Reddit. And I don't know what that website is. I feel so, like, it just makes me tired. I can't figure it out Ugh. either. But I... somebody sent me the link to it, and there was there were over 300 comments. And most of it had side, had gone off the rails, and they were talking about the U.S. economy, and it wasn't about <laughs> right. the tweet anymore. Most conversations about you do end up at, at the economy. because so... I am, you know, yeah. the symbol of yeah. the working man. So, um, but, you know, whatever. There were... I'm an actor, right? I'm an artist. So 99 people can tell me that, you know, something I've done is beautiful and and brilliant and the best thing they've ever seen. One person can be like, I didn't like it. And it erases all of it. It erases all Mm -hmm. of it. Um, You know, so there were some people that made some really nasty comments about the tweet. Just don't read the comments. I I can't (laughs) anymore. But, you know, it was like, you know, she's a has-been... She can't sing. Um, all this kind of stuff. And can, I challenge you to recall one positive thing that was said. Yeah. I can see Nothing. I can't. No, that's not true. Some people are like, I love you. <laughs> um, I know. It's terrible. It's terrible. Well, I saw... And it's funny because the artists are always the ones who are so damaged. <laughs> We're opening ourselves up. You know, I musical theater auditions to me feel like I'm getting naked in front of a room full of strangers and being like, please judge every inch of my naked body. That's what it feels like. It feels so raw and exposed and, but we just keep doing it. Yeah. (laughs) Daisy, you are, you're just a treasure. You're so funny. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Congratulations on everything. Thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Keep uh, posted on Daisy's uh, cabaret artist. Now she's all over the place. Um, I've seen her at Joe's Pub. I know you're working on two things. I'm working on a new um, one-woman show that is Give us the title. Uh, I think it's called One for My Baby. I still have to write it, which Mm. is mildly terrifying. Anyway, if you're interested in following me, all of my social media is Daisy Egan. Um, Thanks again. You're amazing. uh, Well, thank you. I'm so so glad to be here. Someday, maybe, all my dreams will be repaid. Heck, I'd even play the maid to be in a show. Today's episode was produced by myself and Vanya Arslanian. Special thanks, as always, to BroadwaySpotted.com, Davenport Theatrical, Steve Tipton, who created and manages our website, Bradley Bean, who created and recorded our theme music, the entire staff at Oswald's, Ellen Marsh, and most importantly, you, fellow theater people. Tell your friends about us. Keep coming back. Let's get the theater community talking. Not dreaming of a great day when I'll be in a show.
rounds all afternoon Eating at a greasy spoon To save on my dough 